0: Mark and Sarah talk about shoot. Mark and Sarah talk about shoot. Mark and Sarah talk about, Sarah talk about songs.
1: It's the familiar theme that means we're still talking about teen idols, But friends, we have reached the end of the journey. Welcome to Mark and Sarah talk about songs episode two twenty one, in which we discuss a song from the winner of our ultimate teen Idol tournament. I am your co-host Sarah De Bunting. And I am here with the squee-tastic Mark Blankenship. Hi, Mark. I'm a non-threatening boy. <laughs> I don't think that's true. I think you should give yourself more credit. <laughs> don't mess with me. I'm extremely threatened by your masculinity. Extremely threatened. <laughs> um, but there was really no threatening our eventual champions, the monkeys. Uh Mark, do you have anything? Do you have any um in like, in-universe chart facts to add about their victory over Ms.
2: Britney Spears? So, yes, the monkeys steamrolled everyone in their path throughout this entire tournament in a way that I certainly wasn't anticipating when we started this journey many weeks ago. And here we are. They beat Britney Spears with 70% of the final vote in the championship round. And that's not nothing because Britney Spears won by handy margins throughout the tournament as well. But the the monkeys were not to be toppled. They were not to be defeated. They are, according to our tournament, and therefore, according to the laws of both the Earth and the universe, the ultimate teen idols.
1: I am completely
2: comfortable with this outcome. You? Oh my gosh, absolutely. And in fact, the more that I've thought about it, the more obvious it seems that they had to be the winners because they checked so many teen idol boxes. They were assembled Uh, because of a corporate project. Mm -hmm. uh, in that corporate project was a TV show. They were all young, goofy, very cute, but very approachable. And then as a bonus, they became teen idols across multiple generations because of their resurgence in the 80s with the same TV show. So they're like the one teen idol group that has been the obsession of more than one generation of teens. I,
1: I think that's absolutely correct. And I think that, you know, the fact that their music holds up and not just like a couple of songs like we had a few entrants um who were sort of sloughed off in like the round of 32 or the sweet 16 that it was like yeah there's a couple good songs here and they definitely deserve to be in this tournament but like the bay city rollers like guys
2: yeah yeah. bless their hearts you're right because the monkeys as i was saying throughout the tournament really deliver a deep catalog of excellent songs, many of which I had not heard until we started to do this work. And I'm so glad that I did.
1: I was delighted to, I think I had not sat with the monkeys catalog in a while, not for any particular reason. It just wasn't like front of mind and uh, revisiting the um, extremely large number of monkey songs that were just on Apple music in my library already was a delight. So, when it came time to pick a single song of theirs to talk about, and we have spoken about the monkeys before way back in like I was going to say the 1940s, just feels that way. I think it was like episode yeah. 37 or something that we talked about Circle very Sky. early. Um, I will look this up and I will link it in the show notes to that episode. Um, I am a big fan of that song, but we wanted to talk about a song that was more emblematic of the group than that and um one that was popular but the the difficulty mark ran into is that songs with believing in the title of the monkeys (laughs) are probably better known than the one we picked but i don't like either of them so sorry that's why we went with pleasant valley sunday uh mark would you like to begin with some chart facts, or should we hear a clip and then talk about the song? I
2: think that we should hear a clip first, but I will just say that I do not in any way feel cheated <laughs> that we're talking about Pleasant Valley Sunday, because it's a great song. It and, uh, really And it's is. certainly worth digging into. It really is. Here's a little clip.
0: See, Gray, she's proud today because the roses are in blue. Mr. Green, he's so serene. TV in every room Another pleasant valley Sunday Here in status symbol land. Mothers complain about how hard life is And the kids just don't understand A Creature comfortable
2: So Fifty-four years ago, in the summer of 67, Pleasant Valley Sunday went all the way to number three on the Hot 100. And it was one of a string of hits that the Monkees had in their unstoppable era, which was this time. And I think really interestingly, this song was written by Carol King and Jerry Goffin. Mm-hmm. And in the Broadway musical Beautiful, which is about Carol King... The scene where they write this song is couched in a lot of portentousness, like this is the moment when Carol King realized that she could write about deeper things. And I don't know if I buy all that or I don't know even if this song is really all that deep, but I do like, Sarah, that Pleasant Ballet Sunday is trying to get at something about suburban conformity mm-hmm. and whether or not it goes very deep. It seems almost beside the point, because for me, the fact that the monkeys at this point were trying anything like this is pretty cool. Well, I think that this is
1: an extremely emblematic song of the Monkees' sort of um, journey as a band and as creative people. Um, mm-hmm. When I first heard this song, first of all, I'd like to say that one of the things that I was reminded of, both by our listeners and in the Patreon happy hours, which you guys have been hearing for the last few weeks... um. And just listening was that Mickey Dolenz was like the stealth MVP of their vocals. I love Mm -hmm. Davy Jones. I still would if he, you know, clawed his way back above ground and was four inches taller. But uh, Mickey Dolenz really had a like a larger gift, I think, vocally than he might have got credit for at the time or certainly from me in the past. This is a great vocal for Mickey. When I first heard this song, the sort of um, preaching about conformity and capitalism and creature comfort goals, like I'm a big creature comfort goal setter. Mr. Green is living right, in my opinion. <laughs> <laughs> Just for Mr. Room, Green, baby. like, uh, that he has, like, a TV in the bathtub, like he lives in Vegas, like, I'm kind of not seeing a problem, like, your larger point is taken, but good for Mr. Green. <laughs> it seemed, when I first heard it in middle school, which was the heart of not only their second wave of popularity, but also the go-go 80s. Uh, it seemed so deep to me and such a, you know, comment and that the um, vocal and the arrangement are very sort of sunshiny and extremely evocative of a day in the suburb with mo- uh, lawns being mowed and, um, you know, grandees in their mantra shorts and black socks drinking a Long Island iced tea on the lawn because that's where I lived and something spoke to me as a 12 and 13 year old about uh, you know the dark heart of suburbia in retrospect get like get, you know calm down <laughs> get, get over it <laughs> and um but listening to it now as an old lady um i have never enjoyed that sort of chaotic atonal ending that they go into which i didn't clip Um, But now it works for me narratively, even though it is not that complex. Um, They were trying to do something and they landed right on the nose of that something. But I mean, we all need noses, right? (laughs) And what's interesting to me about this song now is that the struggle of this particular band towards their own authenticity is, in addition to being something that we talk about all the time. One of the things that lets them still resonate as artists that they were the product of two different versions of the '60s: this sort of like end of the post-war era, prefab bubblegum '60s, and this, you know, anti-war, question authority '60s that were at odds. Gosh, you know that's so true. They
2: really managed to successfully live in both camps that's a pretty neat trick
1: yeah and i don't think they were super happy about it and you know tv movies about them head which is like miserably tiresome but has a ton of good music and like they are trying to do something and side note the day I figured out that a clip from Head was sampled by the Soup Dragons, and that's where I'd heard it before, was like one of the proudest days of my life. I think you and I didn't <laughs> know each other then, but s- somehow you sensed that I had
2: enjoyed this victory. From Somewhere across the wind, I felt a, a, a warm gust of victory.
1: You did. Um, so their quest to be taken seriously was, um, as often happened at that time in the culture, Um, wound up being taking themselves super seriously. And there were a lot of like, you know, prayer beads and refusing to answer like teeny bob questions and so on. That is maybe not a good look, but it's also extremely relatable and a part of growing up as a creative person, which they had to do in public. So, um, and on top of all of that, this song is just good. It's just built well. It does what it's supposed to do. So that's, so, I mean, that straddling of the two sixties is, which I sort of came up with like two hours ago and was like, hey,
2: <laughs> I went to college. Um, but I think that, you know, it's true because there aren't very many groups that really did that. The Beatles never had to be in the prefab camp of the 60s because they arrived as the standard bearers for authenticity in rock music.
1: Even though and, they were borrowing heavily from stuff you know
2: right but like for but you know they no matter what they were embraced as being authentic mm-hmm. and a band like hermans hermits never really escaped the shadow of being sort of a silly band oh my god or like a 1910 fruit gum company
1: mm-hmm.
2: but you're right that the monkeys when they started they didn't even play any instruments on their early hits but by the time that we get to pleasant valley sunday Mickey Dolan is singing, as you said, but Mike Nesmith is playing the guitar. Peter Tork is playing the piano and Davy Jones is credited with backing vocals and maracas. <laughs> yeah. And I love the fact that they're all playing instrument. Well, that half of the band is actually playing instruments here. And in the old music video from the show, you can actually see Peter Tork very, very specifically playing the piano. I feel like he probably insisted that we be shown that it was him playing the piano, but interestingly mickey Dolans is shown playing the drums and he doesn't play the drums on this track so it's interesting how this song with its video exists in both worlds at once yeah but you know yeah. they can do that because they're the monkeys damn it and, and i it, mean it, it... at
1: first there was definitely this sense of you know the 1-800 cars for kids ads where yes, like oh he's God, not yes. even touching the drums and like he's holding the drumstick by the wrong end it's like watching an american league pitcher try to bat <laughs> you're like <"B-> buddy let <laughs> see where the little flange is try try that end uh yeah it was it was really obvious early on but then once they got into the um mickey has curly hair and turtlenecks with beads over it phase like by then he learned to play the drums and he was not trying to be told that he wasn't gonna be allowed to
2: do that <laughs> right so, yeah. um, I also want to note that the drummer on this actual track is a guy who named Fast Eddie Ho, H-O-H, and I love that name.
1: Oh, that is amazing.
2: I also agree with you that this song is really beautiful. And that's what you get when you hire Carole King and Jerry Goffin to write your pop song for you because they know their way around harmony for one thing, and they know their way around chord progressions, and mm-hmm. the 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 harmonies on the chorus of this song are so beautiful, and it's, I've always loved that this is a song about suburban conformity that is pretty, because yeah. you, can, you, can, you can imagine a world where a song about suburban conformity is harsh and ugly on purpose, but other than the ending, which, as you noted, narratively is there for a reason, to be discordant, the rest of the song is quite lovely, and I get to have my cake and eat it, too, where I can enjoy the pleasantry of the music. And if I want to, I can think about the conformity that the music kind of embodies.
1: Yeah. And there's definitely that sense of, like, there is a reason why the status quo is attractive and is, you know, quo.
2: So... And, you know, I'm just thinking about this right now, but it also occurs to me that the monkeys are particularly well-suited to deliver the message of this song because they especially were a suburban conformist pop band. So they were singing from inside the machine.
1: Yes, totally. I mean, yeah, as time went on and we sort of moved into the later 60s and they were trying to be a little more um, counter their own culture. Right. <laughs> The Randy
2: Scouse git era.
1: Right. Um, They, I think that this chafed them a little bit to be inside the machine. Um, But I think also they they benefited from not being this kind of like uh, aggressively unshaven, like mushroom farming commune. (laughs) Style of hippie, that this was like a hippie that bathes and that was acceptable to the charts and to parents. So, yes. Yeah, that it's like, well, they're, you know, Manson is like rattling around in the Hollywood Hills somewhere. But over here, we have this, like just the bell bottoms, not the stinky part.
2: We're going to take a break from the Teen Idol tournament to dip into the world of pop song astrology yes that's what happens when i take a song that was number one on an important date in your life and use it to extrapolate your entire destiny this week in a master's first we have two chart readings that have been requested for people who were born within the same week first matt has asked that we do a chart reading for his brother luke who was born on april 5th 1971 And we also have a request for a chart reading for Jessie from her friend Erica. And Jessie was born on April 10th, 1971, which means that they are both on the cusp of turning 50 and I hope feeling fabulous. So here's what we're gonna do. I'm going to do a joint chart birthday reading for both of y'all. And then I'm going to do a second reading for both of you, one each, for another important date in your lives. Because I was raised to say that no one should have to share their birthday party. Not even if you were born on Christmas, you shouldn't have to share your birthday with Jesus. Point being, I wanted to have a little bit more fun for everyone. So this is going to be a mega reading. Now, first and foremost, I do want to start with the song that was number one when both you, Luke, and you, Jesse, were born, and that is Just My Imagination by The Temptations. And before we talk about that song, let's take a moment to listen to a heartbreaking clip. To have a girl
0: like her is truly a dream come true. Just my imagination Running
2: Okay, so the first thing to know about this song is that it represented something of a return to the original form for The Temptations. Not in terms of chart success, which they had all throughout this period, but to sound. In the late 60s and early 70s, they had been making music that was more in the psychedelic funk model of Sly and the Family Stone. But after that sound started to peter out a bit for them and for everyone on the charts, they made this song or released this single as a return to the type of beautiful R&B that they had become famous for making earlier in the 60s. And, interestingly enough, this was also the very last appearance on a Temptation single for both Eddie Kendricks, who would go on to have a number one single on his own with Keep on Truckin', and Paul Williams, who would die just a few years after this song was released. So, this song really is simultaneously about a return to the past and a look toward the future, because The Temptations also, with the song Papa, is a Rolling St- Papa Was a Rolling Stone, had a number one song after this, just like Eddie Kendricks did. So what does this mean for y'all, Jesse and Luke? I would say that there's something about your success, because we are of course talking about your success. This is the song that was number one on the day that you were born. There's something about your success, be it personal or professional, that's going to be rooted in your ability to graciously say goodbye to the past and move confidently into the future. And when I say graciously, I mean the fact that they didn't The Temptations had one last go around with their old sound and their old lineup before they went their separate ways. And there were some contentious fights happening behind the scenes. Let's not get it twisted. But I think that from the song's perspective, this this return to that older sound for one last moment where everyone was together does take on a certain historical beauty. So in your lives, you can think about those moments where you are going to be able to note when it's time to make a break with the past and move forward. And think about ways that you can do that gently with kindness with thoughtfulness that's probably going to play out well for you at all times and is going to lead again to some type of success now to move on into our special specific chart readings for both of our birthday folk uh, jesse erica has also asked me if i can do an additional reading for september 12th 1983 which is the day that you and erica met in Latin class, which is quite a prestigious and prodigious date. So, September 12th, 1983, the number one song in America was none other than Michael Cimbello's Maniac from the Flashdance soundtrack. Let's take a listen to a clip. So Jesse and Erica, what does this song portend for your friendship since your friendship started on this, the day that this song was number one? Well, it's important to know that Michael Cimbello might be a one-hit wonder in the, in one sense because this was the only song that he had as an artist that reached the top 40, let alone the top 10 or number one. But do not be deceived, because Michael Cimbello went on to produce the song Rico Suave for Gerardo. Yes, (laughs) Rico Suave came from the very man who brought his maniac. So what that says to me is that your friendship is going to be marked, and probably already has been marked, by the ability to keep changing and evolving in ways that no one would have expected before. To, to reinvent yourselves as many times as you need in order to keep it fresh and keep it moving. So I would suspect that that has had to have happened at this point if you've been friends for this long, and I hope it continues to happen in the future. Meanwhile, Luke, Matt mentioned to me that you recently got married, well, I guess five years ago, but still, May 5th, 2016 is your wedding anniversary, so congratulations, and I am very intrigued to let you know that the song that was number one on your wedding day was none other than the song Panda by the one-hit wonder rapper Designer. A lot of one-hit wonders today. But before we go any further, let's take a listen to a clip from Panda. Panda.
0: Pandit, pandit. Ding, ding, go. I got broads in Atlanta. Twisted the V in the family. Credit cards in the scams, <laughs> Hitting the no licks in the van. Legacy's, phantom. <laughs> Wait and see, they like a panda. <laughs> Going out like a Montana. <laughs> Honey killers on the helmets. Legacy's, phantom. <laughs> Wait and see, phantom. Packet swole, Danny. Sandin' <laughs> ball, cannon. Been on the macho like Randy. <laughs> <laughs> the chopper go out to for granted. <laughs> <laughs> the nigga bullet your panic. But killers on the stand.
2: And just for the record, panda here does not refer to the animal. It refers, refers to the grill of a particular type of white sports car that is said to look like a panda. But for our purposes here today, that's neither here nor there. Because even though panda was already doing well on the charts, thanks to people streaming it on Spotify, the thing that really got it to hit number one was that Kanye West included basically 60 seconds of this song in his album The Life of Pablo. Uh, He just dropped it right in there because he had just signed designer to his label and he felt like it would be a good way to get people to hear his new artist by putting that artist in the midst of his album. And he didn't really change the song, Panda. He just dropped it in there like a little amuse-bouche. And it worked because that is the thing that made this song explode and go to number one for two weeks. So what does this mean for your marriage? I would say that there is something in the success of your marriage that is rooted in the knowledge that a helping hand is essential. Something about using the success or the confidence that you have either as individuals or as a couple to pull up someone or something else is going to be crucial to your success. Be the Kanye to the designers (laughs) in your life so that you can all reap the rewards (laughs) of pandas. And you know, That's just good advice for all of us, I think. Well, I hope that everyone enjoyed their readings. And if you, listeners, would like to give a pop chart astrology reading to someone that you care about, all you have to do is email us at talkaboutsongs at gmail.com and we can tell you exactly how to make that happen. And now, back to the Teen Idol Tournament.
1: I can confidently say that I never thought that I would find myself agreeing with the exhortation, be the Kanye. And yet, (laughs) and yet you make, you make a strong argument, the strongest possible somewhere. Kim Kardashian is like, well,
2: I mean, (laughs) I have a few notes. (laughs)
1: Like, No, but you know, thank you counselor. Um, well, and actually I like that. I like what you were saying at the end. Um, I mean, be the Kanye, but also sort of the larger sense of like um, uh, adapting, adapting things and meeting them where they are, I think, Mm. Um, because I did pull another monkeys clip from their 80s hit um, in which they kind of like rolled into this turn of them, you know, having this comeback that I think they did not plan. And Screen Gems just like sold the rights to MTV or whatever. And uh, so they came out with another couple of singles and they went back out on tour. And I'm not sure any of them planned that, but they didn't seem unhappy about it. Uh, So let's hear a clip From that was then, this is now. And then let's talk about how they didn't just straddle both kinds of the late 60s, but also put like pulled that into a very materialistic decade of the 80s. All right, leaving aside the fact that this is basically Mickey being like, I promise I won't give you the (laughs) herp. I would love to know what you think about how they adapted their sound or didn't to this, I think, pretty signature 80s, like synthy, like it has that um, Grateful Dead touch of gray timbre to it. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd just like to know what you think of that song
2: well this was a hit in the summer of 1986 when i was seven years old mm-hmm. and i was in the thrall of monkey fever and i can remember <laughs> seeing this video on nick yep. rocks oh my god it was a live performance video yep and i i but i can I could have sung you that was then this is now, I will be able to sing you that hook when I am in an infirmer in a, in a nursing home mm mm-hmm. yep, Same and name. uh I think that this song is great, honestly,
1: <laughs> yeah they had another they had another song that they put on the anthology that they released, I think in the nineties um. And they had a they had a couple of hits and they were, you know, they were touring for a while. Um, They looked in retrospect, if you watch this video again, like not that much time had gone by since they were popular, like 15 years, 20 years. And they all look shockingly old, like shockingly Mm. old. Um, Hard living was done, I think. (laughs) 80s styling was not soup friendly to Mr dolans um who I think also had been smoking some cigarettes it's just a theory um but <laughs> I f- I find it fascinating that so much of their brand at least to me was their their journey to their own um authenticity and sincerity like we said before and that that sort of continued and they adapted in order to continue to be popular musically and relevant musically in the 80s which were an extremely materialistic decade sort of you know in everyone's shorthand memory that this is the heart of the reagan era and another era in which like a tv in every room like yes
2: <laughs> only one tv in every room
1: yeah yeah I mean, color TV? Oh, 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 an aristocrat. So I just find that the layers that are um, sort of Moebius in this song and that it is sort of explicitly about how things are different now um, and on the surface seems to be couching that in a romantic way, but really is about them and also their relationships like intra band with each other mm-hmm. because i think in the 70s maybe everybody wasn't talking and mike nesmith was being a you know liquid paper air or being mean to team beat <laughs> journalists or more whatever it is he was up to in double-breasted suits but yeah i mean i think it's i think it's pretty cool Of them to be like, okay, this is the gig. It's sort of like um, Luke Perry being like, look, I am famous for 90210 and I'm going to be cast based on like that reference. And he embraced it and had a sense of humor about it. And I admired that
2: about him. Totally. And it makes me think about how many bands from the 60s had their 80s comeback. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, Starship. Yep. Jefferson Airplane became Starship, and we've talked about all of those 80s hits before. We sure have. Um, uh, Bill Medley from The Righteous Brothers came back with uh, I've Had the Time of My Life from Dirty Dancing. Like ew.
1: Steve Winwood from Traffic.
2: Yes. High, back in the High Life again. Higher Love. Oh, yes.
1: Higher Love. And Valerie, which... Uh, much like The Monkey's Valerie, nobody liked that song except me,
2: kind of, but that's okay. More for me. Listen, I am here for Steve Winwood's Valerie anytime. I love that song. We have been meaning to do a ranker
1: episode of the actually the worst name songs, so feel free to contact us about, <laughs> about the ones that have tried your souls since we already <laughs> covered Sarah. Oh. Well,
2: um, I think that. Yeah. Yeah, And also, it's great that you mentioned Touch of Grey, because that was the Grateful Dead's one big 80s hit. And I I think it's really nice that the Monkees got to have a top 20 single that was then, this is now peaked at number 20, in the 80s. And it's a really lovely song that does have all of those layers in it that you referenced. And it seems to me that that also allowed the band to reach the moment where they stopped being angry about what they had been. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, I guess in a way you can't argue with the money. <laughs> well, you can't argue with the money, and you also can't,
1: like, sort of in retrospect, I think they were allowed to, they were sort of granted the authenticity in retrospect that they had been mm-hmm. fighting so hard to achieve at the time, and it's like, you know what? It's late, but we'll take the W. Fuck it. And sure. totally.
2: Well, I have to say, Sarah, I really think that the, this conversation demonstrates why the monkeys were such a great winner of this tournament, because there really is a lot to say.
1: Yeah, there really is. I mean, like there's so much that goes into teen idledom and we talked about it from every possible angle over the course of the last uh, several weeks, which I loved doing. I, you know, we love thinking about this stuff, obviously, but you know, A big part of what we do is not just talking about the songs. It's like everything that goes into the songs and makes them more than songs. And I think the monkeys are teen idols, the ultimate teen idols, because there's so much more to so
2: many people. Totally. Agreed.
1: All right, listeners. Well, have a pleasant Valley week. Thank you so much for uh coming on this journey with us for voting for coming to the happy hours we could not have done this without you and would not have done this without you and we look forward to march next year what will the topic be who can say
2: Mark and sarah talk about songs is hosted by mark blankenship that's me and sarah debunting that's me i
1: also edit the podcast which is a proud member of the believe network learn more at blea
2: to learn more about us submit song requests get a pop chart reading or buy a mastis book visit our website at mark and sarah you'll also find all of our social media links there too
1: that's Mark and Sarah with an h talkaboutsongs.com and for even more content and access to the Mastass happy hour become a Patreon supporter at patreon.com/mastass
2: thanks for listening
0: Talk about you, and Sarah. talk about you, and Sarah. talk about, you. Sarah
1: talk
2: about you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.